Hi, I'm Kosambi and a super hearty welcome to Shelf, the building blocks of commerce by Mason. Here we talk about the most exciting trends and technologies that are reshaping the world of e-commerce from apps to headless to composable to low code to no code. Well, the list is endless. Join in. So today we're speaking to Sanne. She's the commercial director at Heva and responsible for business development, commercial strategy, essentially working to revolutionize Magento for commerce. And uh, Sanne loves working with people and making a difference in society, which is why she does a lot of volunteering and charity work too. Her previous project, AfriPads, where she and her team supported underprivileged girls in rural areas in Uganda. It's an inspiration for so many of us. Sanne works worked as a commercial manager at Hypernode before this and she was even a director of sales at Diary and in all the different hats she's worn she's always weaved technology solutions together to solve day-to-day challenges faced by e-commerce merchants so we're super excited to host Sunne on our opening episode for Shelf Thank you very much for the introduction. We're so, so excited to have you. And we'll just get started diving into the experience tech for commerce, right? And specifically for 2022, but we're closing on the year and there's a lot more interesting things that's going to come beyond 2022. So my first question to you is, as someone who's gone through different aspects of having your own business versus working at tech companies at scale and now at Heaven. Working for the future of commerce tech in a way, tell us a bit about your journey, how you reached where you are, and why do you like helping e-commerce teams grow? Yeah, thank you very much for having me here. I'm very happy to to be here today. So yeah, my journey has indeed been quite interesting. I think for people coming from a small startup enterprise in rural Africa to working for big tech companies here in Europe. For me, it's, it has always been about the entrepreneurship though. I like being involved with innovation. I like to be challenged in the modern days challenges. How can we solve them? What can we do to make things better? And that is something that I very much find in e-commerce because it's a, such a it's a market that is so rapidly changing new solutions pop up every day so that really also challenges you as a person to stay on top of things you can't really sit down and think i know it all i've seen it all so i know what i'm talking about because you'll fall behind straight away which is very much i think comparable to the technologies that we work with themselves i always say the moment you implement something you're instantly creating legacy so that's also something you need to think about how can i set up my environment in such a way that I can always like be on top of new trends, that I can evolve with time when it comes to legislation, when it comes to customer demand, when it comes to new shopping experience technologies, while at the same time maintaining a focus on user experience, safety, stability, all these kind of things. And that is something that has always triggered me. As you said, I've been working with a hosting company for eight years. So I have a lot of experience working with merchants, but also e-commerce agencies. And as I like to put it, I've sort of matured together with the market. So when I first started working at Hypernode, it was still very young, but the market itself was also still very young. Like Magento just was just launched uh, in the Netherlands. And it was really kind of a fun game kind of environment where you can explore everything, where there's also lots of demands because there wasn't really a good e-commerce solution yet. And e-commerce as a whole was just beginning to, to flourish. And now if you look at the landscape, there are so many different tech providers. There's so many different kind of retailers that sell online. 
and the variety is huge, but also it's more mature in a way that there's more budgets, there's more revenue to go through it, there's more different specializations. So there's also a lot more to keep up with. For sure. And especially in retail and e-commerce, it's like every single year since I think 2019 has been so different. And of course, before that too, but it just goes to show how things are so dynamic and things change so much. And it's like a constant, I think, education, self-education process to always keep yourself up to date about different technologies. What is the right choice for you as a business and why now? right? What's been some of your observations over, especially this last couple of years, and now things coming, kind of coming back to normal in a way. What are some of the observations that you've had while looking at, you know, companies evaluating tech, how quickly they've had to kind of turn around and adapt to the process and the environment around them and kind of take very quick decisions on very important matters as things are changing around them? Yes, that's one of the things that I'm very much concerned about is educating myself and also educating the market. Because as a person with a non-technical background, I find that I quickly rely on like what I call experts' opinions. But as you walk around in the scene for a bit longer, you also see that, you know, the more experts there are, the more different opinions you're going to get. So there's not like one golden truth, one golden standard that you should adhere to, and then you never have any problems anymore. Every solution has its pros and cons. And even though you might not have like the most technical background, there's still a lot that you can learn and a lot that you can know. And that is one thing that the pandemic has shown is that, well, you know, e-commerce as a whole was growing, that whole like baseline that we were living on, all of a sudden got bumped like by 20, 30%. That changes the whole playing field. So you, all of a sudden, like your audience is bigger, but also the, the order volumes are bigger, your reach is bigger. You need to think about logistics. There's so many things that come to consider when you're growing scale. And for a lot of companies, that scale was hit very suddenly because of the pandemic, of course, all the, the implications it had for, for retail. And then that shows that the weakest point in any e-commerce setup is actually the technology, because that's usually the thing that we all rely on and that the least people know something about. And I'm really much in favor of trying to change that, taking away all the complicated language from it, really simplifying it, comparing it to day-to-day experiences. Because working for a hosting company at the time of the pandemic really showed that so many problems suddenly came to light that were always kind of there, but hidden because the pressure was never that high. So if you always have overcapacity on your server, you're never going to notice that, you know, some of the technical setup might not really be suitable for that many visitors. But all of a sudden, when, you know, the audience that comes to your website and the conversion rates go through the roof, then these sort of underlying problems become all of a sudden very visible. And then you need to quickly change. And then you find yourself stuck with a legacy system. So this is, I think, also something that helps to, again, like mature the market in the way that technology is not something or technical decisions are not something that should be taken by one or two people, but it's really a combined responsibility of the management of an e-commerce agency or an e-commerce retailer that is so vital for the success of your whole operation that you cannot afford not to know about it. You don't might not know all the specifics, but you need to know at some level what you're doing and why you're doing and also what you can do if it's no longer su- uh, sufficient. And yeah, that is something that I personally also find very triggering to me that I was like, okay, I cannot rely on other people's opinions anymore. I have to form my own opinion. 
which is so important to have a per- perspective and a point of view, right? And something that you said just hit home, the difficulty for most of us, the blocker for most of us in forming those opinions is that everything is so technical sometimes. Is there's no analogy, right? There's no real life example that I can kind of like, you know, look at apples to oranges or apples to apples to actually understand what does all these jargons really mean. So so let's help us demystify, right? We hear these two terms a lot in the ecosystem. We hear monoliths and we hear composable today. Like that's like, you know, two sides of a coin. Help our audience kind of understand that in a very simple way with some examples, help demystify what does monolith mean and what's composable. Yes, sure. So a monolith is what we refer to for an, any kind of software that is what we say all encompassing. So it's, for instance, Magento that we work with, but you also have systems like Shopify or e-commerce that say, okay, you you buy or you download the version of this software, and then you can basically set up your e-commerce environments. So you have a front end where visitors come to visit, you have a product catalog, you have pricing options, you have a checkout, you have a search module, you have an integration with Facebook, etc. All the things that you need to set up an e-commerce environment are there. But Monolith itself also has limitations because it's built or it's um, developed by a person or a company or a set of developers. That means that you're always going to have run into restrictions of that monolith. So it could be that you want to implement, for instance, you have your own inventory system and you want to integrate that. And that means that you need to have some sort of connection between that inventory system and your e-commerce environment. And that is not ready there out of the box. So that's why you need developers then to build something like that. Now, if you do that over time, you can have this big, we say, blog of code that is all integrated to each other. And that means that you're not really sure of like what connects to what, in what way, and what happens if I change something here, will something on the other end break? For instance, you have to update your search module because that's what you do. Like there's new versions of software coming out all the time. It has security updates, etc. So you do that and all of a sudden half of your, you know, product pictures are gone or are no longer fitting. And nobody really understands why. This is what we call legacy. That is what grows over time as you are sort of twisting and tweaking the monolith structure to your own needs. Composable commerce is a relatively new term that says we have to get rid of these huge blocks of legacy. So what we do is we have what we call microservices. So you have search, you have product catalog, you have pricing indexation, and these are all separate pieces of software that run independently from each other. And we connect them to each other via mostly use this term, mostly use this middleware. And so that when you want to change something, add something, etc., you don't do that directly in the e-commerce system itself, but you do, you just connect it to the middleware and the middleware then connects it to all the other pieces of software that are relevant. So composing commerce, it can be seen quite literally as like pieces of Lego, which are kind of building your own store. Today, they are really posed as opposite. So you either go for monolith or you go for composable commerce. Of course, in reality, you will find that the difference is not that black and white because there is a lot of monoliths that already work, for instance, with decoupling the front end from the back end. So they say, okay, we go what they call headless. Yeah. So you still have the Lego man, but the head is something else. 
<laughs> that can be any kind of software. So rerun all the processes in the back end, but what you do in the front end, the kind of design that you want to implement, etc. that is not directly related to each other. So there is a lot of well, I would say there's a big gray area. Nowadays, I'm working for a company called Huva. We are front-end solution specifically for Magento. We are part of the Magento monolith then. But it doesn't mean that you cannot run Huva as a headless front-end, for instance. There is ways to work around this or to compose, as they say, the, the kind of shop that you want. But this is, so this distinction is kind of where what is usually used to explain the difference between monoliths and composable commerce. I love that. You spoke about my favorite thing, Legos, and I totally use that so much to explain composable to people. So I'm so excited that you did the same. One thought was running through my mind, uh, Sunday, as we were uh, speaking about uh, that, you know, the world is actually not black and white, it's gray, right? And the reality is that people are a kind of piecing together you can't throw away everything that you have so you're kind of piecing together hey i have a monolith and then which parts of it can i actually like compose now to the needs that i have uh, right now so i love that and can you dig down a little bit more into that like if for a company for a brand who's let's say on a monolith right now but they realize for and, and this is a very common you know thing today where you have multi-store presence so i'm speaking about this brand that we work with and uh, you know they started in manchester in the united kingdom but they very quickly uh, started selling across eu united states australia so they've been like expanding pretty fast over the last couple of years and these are realities of the cross-border world today you do you're really able to as a brand very quickly kind of expand across different geographies at some point they realized they need like the same back end but now they need like these five different they were running five different front ends over it right and and some of the products need to you know show in different geographies in different ways so things like that decisions like that and they were running on top of uh, shopify using five different Shopify instances as five different stores and that's getting super difficult for them to manage, right? So this is the reality. That's what most of the brands today are going to be thinking about. How do I move to the next phase, right? How do I manage this process of changing, shifting, growing? But I don't want to throw everything that I have away, right? So what is the decision-making criteria, you know, three or four or five questions in a way, a checklist that you think, you know, as a brand owner, as a, as a brand team, we should go through so that we take the right decision. Is this the right time to start thinking about breaking that monolith? Sure. So first of all, I would like to say, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet that solves everything. So what you're talking about, if you're moving into different geographies, you're talking about displaying different kinds of products, but that doesn't really end there, right? Because you have different currencies. You probably have local payment methods that you want to include. But there's also things like cultural differences, right? Like the way that you describe your product, the way that you address your audience, all these kind of things. It's not just language, it's also cultural area that can go into like what kind of models do you use on your site, what kind of body size do they have, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it it's there's always a lot of things that people don't necessarily think about in the first instance, but are definitely you have to take into consideration. And no matter what kind of solution you're going to choose, there's always going to be pros and cons. It's never just a clean sheet. So be prepared for that. One thing that I find is that very often people think of a solution and then sort of go back to the problem that they want to solve. So for instance, they might say, I need to have a composable setup. And then 
how is that going to solve my problem? Whereas I think that's the wrong kind of reasoning. You don't start with the solution. You start with the problem. So what is it that you're running into now? What is it that you want to do in the future? So don't only think about what you want to do now, what you want to solve now, because decisions that you're taking now are very much going to influence what you do in three or four or five years' time. So make also think of the bigger picture. Think of the bigger plan. What if your sales go tenfold? What if your market size grows? What if your geographies grow? What kind of problems do you envision running into when you achieve that kind of skill? And then research solutions. So don't go too quickly. Don't say, okay, this this is the golden bullet for me. Again, as I said before, don't necessarily rely on one expert's kind of opinion because in the end, it might be a well-founded opinion, but it's just one opinion. So take your time, talk to different kind of people, talk to different kinds of solutions, inform yourself, visit blogs, have your developers participate in community discussions. There is a lot of if you invest some time in it, there, there's a lot of like publicly available knowledge that you can just tap into if you take the time. So make sure you inform yourself about the different options before you take a decision. And then when you take a decision on what kind of solution you want, find the right partner for you. Don't make the mistake that you think you can do everything yourself. Don't think that, oh, but I've got this guy running around for 10 years and he knows everything about my business and he can build anything it's not possible. There's so many different kinds of specializations at the moment, and it's only going to grow in the future. So make sure that you work with somebody you trust, somebody who, ha- who can prove that they have a good business concept, that they have built the kind of solution that they're looking for, that they're handling the kind of clients that, can, that you compare with or that you admire, that you want to be like, and really yeah, make sure that that. The fit is there, you know, that you that you find somebody that you that you are happy working with because these are the people you're going to rely on for a very important part of your business. And then I would say, really talk about budget. This is always the least favorite part of the part of the discussion, but I've experienced that a lot of I would say like SMB, SMB plus, even enterprise level businesses choose heavily over engineered solutions that in the end, the ROI is just not there. So they had a problem. They have encountered salespeople that can have a very convincing story. And then they're sort of lured into this this project that just goes on and on and, and kind of really gets out of hand budget-wise and time-wise, development-wise. So you need to make sure that, you know, you have if you know what you're going to do, if you if you know what you want to do revenue-wise and profit-wise, then calculate back what is it that you actually have available to achieve that and make sure that it balances out. It seems quite simple, but a lot of people still think that for little money, they can quickly make a lot in return. And it's just not the case. It's You have to allocate serious budgets, not only to your to the design and the development of your e-commerce environment, but also maintenance, updates, marketing, all these kind of things essentially result into good conversion rates, but it will only happen if you take it seriously. So just yeah, know what you're doing, dedicate the time, dedicate the budget, and don't be too easily fooled, I would say. <laughs> easier said than done on the third one though because i think it goes back to what you were you were talking about how you know because of the complexity of systems today and a very system first view of retail a lot of times i mean all the technology that we talk about right we are talking from a technology point of view we very rarely talk about it from a retail retailer and the retailers 
everyday point of view. Uh, so we talk about like systems and, you know, there is an inventory management system. And actually, like for the retailer, it's about my products and how much of it can I sell, <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. The way we construct, I think everything in retail tech seems to be very system first. And that's why it gets harder for people to, you know, take the right decisions. But this definitely framework is the first starting point. Thank you for sharing that you know, for someone who's, uh, you know, thinking about and evaluating. And in your, I think just to add a bit more of depth and uh, layer and insight into this conversation, into this topic of our conversation, how do we decide that this is the right time and that I need to kind of start deconstructing my stack and move towards a more, uh, you know, plug and play and Lego version of the stack versus something that's just one piece of code, right? Well, again, this has to do, that's why I said, think of the problem that you're trying to solve. Because working with Magento, I know that if you work with Magento open source, a lot of developers have issues with the standard Luma theme that comes with the Luma front end. This is because it's very complex. It has hundreds of lines of code. It uh, The out-of-the-box performance is pretty bad. And so nobody's really happy with it. Developers aren't happy with it. Customers aren't happy with it. So they start to look for alternatives. And as there wasn't really a roadmap or a technical roadmap from Magento itself, people start looking for alternatives. So what other solutions are on the market? And then people tend to pivot towards like PWA or, or even composable commerce, for instance. So PWA is progressive web app. It's also a very popular term used nowadays for like well, for front-end experiences. But it's not necessarily that they were trying to solve mobile friendliness or offline availability or working with different storefronts. It was merely that they were just dissatisfied with the standard Luma frontend that comes with Magento. And this is what I mean. If that's the case, then start looking for an alternative that solves that issue. That's exactly what our founder did. He's a developer working with Magento for, for 12 years. And he was like, no, I just want a frontend for Magento that works, that is developer friendly, that has a fast time to market, and that has a great performance out of the box. And that's what Huva Themes does. If you're running into multiple problems, as you were describing before, if you're going to different geographies, if you have inventory management problems, if you find that your returns are way too high, if you have no overview of the technical setup of your um, environment and you feel like you don't have control over it anymore, that's when you should seriously reconsider destructing that whole mess and solving each problem as it is, which might mean that you don't and you're not only fixing the front end, but you're fixing the whole architecture of your e-commerce environment. So you're taking a step back and really looking, okay, this is all these problems that are occurring now at the same time. It's not because there's a problem with that kind of software, but it's a problem with the, with the initial setup of this environment. So that is something we need to reconsider. And it's always going to be a bad time. Because, you know, something's running now and you need to seriously make some budget available to reconstruct the whole thing. But if you don't do it now, it's only going to cost you more later because the problems are not going to solve themselves and they're not going to go away. So in the end, you're losing out every day that you're postponing this decision. Absolutely. I think that's such a, you know, unique way of looking at a problem and then sort of like thinking about the solution. It's not just about your experience stack, but also, you know, digging deep and looking at your fulfillment stack, etc. and seeing which parts of it probably need to 
you know, need a rethink today based on the problems in your customer journey, based on the leakages in your customer journey, right? Which leads me to a quick question. You've been in the space and looking at solutions and literally breathing uh, this day in and out and solving problems for merchants. What are some of the tech solutions that you think are technology solutions that you think are reshaping this space today? And, you know, things that you're looking out for, that you're keeping an eye that, hey, like in the near future or in the far future, these are some of the companies, these are some of the products, these are some of the frameworks that are really going to be making a difference. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to say my own company <laughs> because we're changing Magento landscape. But other than that, I find a very interesting development, artificial intelligence and the different ways that that can be applied in e-commerce. I've recently done a webinar over on artificial intelligence where we see that there's some standard examples of the you trying some clothing on in front of the camera and then, you know, the, the shop returning the, the image so you can really see how something would look on you, which is, of course, a very interesting development that you can already see, for instance, with online optometrists, selling glasses, etc., or even like fashion retail. But it could also be applied, for instance, for uh, reducing churn. So there's this, I saw this great example of companies says, well, we have a subscription model. And if we want to reduce churn, there's always this group of customers that is unaware, so to say, of the subscriptions they have running. So if we start interacting with this customer, it might actually increase churn because they realize, oh, I still have a subscription with them. Let me cancel that. And there's, of course, also a group of customers that the moment you interact with them, you can actually reduce churn because they are something they're dissatisfied with, but they, they're not vocal enough to express it themselves or they've just sort of had this lingering intention to go away or to look at an alternative supplier or something. So then by interaction, you can actually prevent that. So AI actually helped this company define what kind of measurements they can take to reduce churn. And I'd never thought of that. And I think in the future, there's going to be so many more applications of AI in e-commerce that that is something that you should really be on the lookout for. Other than that, I think there's definitely technology suppliers that are really trying to innovate. Again, it's something that we do, but there's also search engines that do that. Like I have very good experience with Algolia, for instance, that really improve customer experience and constantly on top of things. So yeah, so that's, I would say, are the two most interesting things and developments going on in the, in the environment right now. Yeah. And which, you know, you mentioned something about the experience and how AI and generative AI can kind of like change the way consumers are experiencing retail. And that leads me to this thought, you know, it's so omnichannel now, right? Like it's not just, I see my niece and nephew, they're like on their iPads or on their phone and they're kind of shifting between like they browse something halfway <laughs> on one and then they're like completing the thought on the other. Yes. And it's actually moving on to even real life experiences, right? Like in retail, people are thinking about how do I continue that online experience now when someone comes to my retail brick and mortar too? And, and how do we continue that 360 degree experience across not just different channels, but as the customers kind of moving across different points in the journey? So mobile and, you know, a multi-channel and omni-channel shopping experiences, just apart from desktop 
shopping, right? How do you think some of these experience first front end solutions and changes that you're noticing in the ecosystem? How is, does composable play, uh, play a big role there? How should merchants be thinking about providing these sort of experiences? Should they think ahead of time and should they like plan ahead of time and get ready for a for an eventuality like that or at least start thinking small and start thinking, you know, mobile PWA as you said? Well, yeah, like you said, of course, we are browsing now more and more different devices. There's a crossover between online and offline uh, retail. So, of course, this is something you need to think about. But this is also something that e-commerce system in general think about because they also, of course, see that, for instance, mobile traffic increases every year. There's now webshops that have like 90 or even close to 100% of uh, traffic that goes through mobile. So, of course, you need to have a good experience on mobile as well as on desktop and, uh, and laptop. You cannot really afford to not be responsive, for instance, because that will cost you customers instantly. But again, that's what I said before. If you're talking about solutions versus problems, if you notice that most of your traffic is through mobile, then find out what, how you can deliver the best mobile experience to your customers. And that is not necessarily through a PWA or a composable commerce strategy that uh, a lot of monoliths have perfect uh, mobile experiences or can deliver perfect mobile experiences if you're working with the right agencies and the right developers. So yes, of course, I mean, PageSpeed is everything that corresponds directly to conversion rates, which is the ultimate goal, really, to get the best conversion rates. And there's a lot of decisions that you can take as a merchant to influence that that performance. Like I said before, you need to make sure that you choose the right software that is also mobile friendly. But there's also a lot that you can do, for instance, like, do you need a chatbot on the homepage? You can say that that's something that you want, but that's seriously costing you performance. So even if you want it, you could choose to not have it maybe on mobile, but on desktop, or maybe not on the homepage, but on the product page, stuff like that, that really influences the performance of your home base much more than the kind of technology that you choose. So again, make sure that you solve the problem and you don't buy the solution and then see how it fits the problem that you're encountering. Totally agree to that. And, you know, let's assume that at this point in our conversation, you know, people have heard you, they have kind of understood, hey, we have a checklist here, some of the things to think about, some examples of, you know, situations where they might actually have to think one or the other. Now, let's say that someone takes that decision and, uh, you know, they reach out to you or to other partners like you and they decide that, hey, we do need to re-platform in some way. We do need to like, move probably to a composable stack or it could be vice versa too why not and what could be some of the challenges in your mind that this team will you know have to overcome as they're looking at replatforming and how do they overcome these challenges the downside i would say of composable commerce is that you need you often need to learn new technologies so if you are used to work with a platform like shopify or like magento and you're switching to PWA, you need to all of a sudden learn React or other JavaScript software. And that is not as easily said as done. I mean, that usually takes years for people to really get to know a, a software and work with it well and deliver good results. So this is something that I... I experience a lot of people tend to overlook because to them, it's all the same. It's like e-commerce technology is e-commerce technology, but actually it's not. It's very different. And you need to take that into consideration when you when you decide to switch that there is some input you need to give there. Uh, of course, the way to overcome is to give your developers time to 
to learn. And then those are costs you need to budget as well, because that is costing time, hence money, or work with developers or agencies that already have those technologies. But then again, there's also costs involved. So either way, you need to make sure to budget for it. If people re-platform to Hoover, so to Magento with a front-end solution, you must be aware that you are going to a monolith. So you are working with Magento, you're not working with any other supplier. But then again, I also, this is exactly one of the benefits, I would say, is that if you're a Magento developer, you already know how to work with Magento. So you also know how to work with Uva. So that learning curve is actually much steeper and it's much easier to learn than when you switch to a completely new software language. So yeah, these are things to to take into consideration. And in general, I would say most of the agencies I talk to or merchants I work with see development capacity as the bottleneck for for further expansion or development. So if that is the case for you, then make sure that you take decisions that also make or keep your developers happy. Developers tend to like to learn new things. So they tend to like innovation. They also like to stick a bit with what they know and, and, you know, further elaborate on that knowledge. So really engage them in the conversation and maybe even in the decision-making process when you're, when you're thinking about this, because you don't want your developers to be unhappy if that is the bottleneck of future expansion or, or development. You really need to make sure that, you know, the, the foundation is correct. And if it's them, then yeah, include them, I would say. Yeah, I totally agree, especially with the part about everything new comes with a learning curve. And uh, you got to keep that in mind. And you you know that that's some of the investment that you have to keep give as you are replatforming, as you are taking decisions to shift whatever you're using. This has been super insightful for me. Uh, Sanya, I'm so excited. Uh, but I don't want to leave you yet. I have one final question before we kind of wrap up uh, this conversation. Okay, bring it. <laughs> you kind of touched upon that in a way, but uh, I think just to wrap up, what would be some of these you know, new developments in e-commerce, not just in technology, but I think in retail uh, overall, what are some of these trends that you're seeing will actually uh, you know, impact and change commerce in the future, in the next decade or more? And how do you think monolith versus composable, how that impacts the trends that you are seeing today? So actually, to get back to the previous question, when I said the importance of developer happiness, I think the role of developers becomes more crucial in the future. And I find it very interesting to see how developers tend to not only work with software that they like working with, but it's also, at least for Magento, but I think for other technologies as well, very much about the community. So it's definitely not just a work thing. It's also, there's also a big social aspect to it. And that you can see in conversations online through Slack or GitHub or, or different kind of platforms, but also offline at uh, like developer events or, or regular events, hackathons, whatever, where people get together and you see that they are so like engaged with the product, but also with each other. And I think this like, human aspect of technology is going to be even more important in the future as we become more remote and 
we work globally, so it's not that common anymore to to interact with each other physically. The social aspect is something that you should definitely not neglect. So when you're choosing a technology, I would really suggest to also look into the community that is behind that technology. How many developers work with that on a daily basis? How active are people in making new contributions to the code? Or if it's a corporate that is um, you know, selling the, the license for the software, what is their vision for the future? How does their technical roadmap look like? And what kind of influence does do developers have on that roadmap? Because I think this is very crucial for the future of a, a software itself and therefore also for the future of your, your web shop. Definitely take some time to uh, look into that. When it comes to composable versus a monolith, this is something that is kind of separate from that um, discussion. I think there's a market for both. I think that composable commerce can really solve some critical issues for especially large on-prime retailers that are running into the restrictions of, of their monoliths. But I also think there's a very big group of SMB, SMB plus, and to even enterprise level clients or, or online retailers that won't really benefit from a composable commerce because it's just an over-engineered and over-costly solution for a problem that they could also solve with a monolith. And so it comes to, when it comes to the ROI of, you know, design and the implementation, but also the maintenance and updates of your environment, think about, okay, what what is my, what is my scale? What is the scale I want to achieve? And how do I then balance that with investments that I need to make now. And each has their own strength and the market as a whole is only going to grow. So I think as such, we will also see in the future that there's always going to be both composable commerce and monoliths. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much. A lot of learning. And uh, we'd love to bring you back, Sane, on uh, another episode sometime in the next uh, few months and follow up on probably a deeper dive uh, into a use case. But this has been super helpful. Really glad uh, that uh, you are the opening uh, guest for, for Shelf. <laughs> Thank you. We learned a lot, uh, not just about, uh, I think, the constructs of composable versus a monolith. I love the Lego analogy there, but also how as a merchant, you you see you know, your own funnel, you look at your own retail growth and strategies, your own business goals, and then take a decision to go one way or the other. But keeping time as a very important factor, as well as budget as an important factor in mind, apart from the benefits of the use cases and flexibility that you get, right? And finally, wrapping up with, uh, you know, a view on the ecosystem and how there is definitely possibility of different kinds of frameworks to exist and why uh, some frameworks might just not be right for you at the stage that you are uh, as a company. Thank you so much. A lot of learning. Uh, That's a wrap for episode one. Thank you very much. And that's it. That was awesome. And thank you folks for listening in. If you enjoyed the chat, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right here. And of course, do hop on to Mason at www.getmason.io. That's www.getmason.io. We got more Ace in the Hole insights, conversion tips, and just everything that you need to scale your e-commerce brand. Catch you next time.